Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, July 29th, 2022. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, even a weak earnings report from Apple can still break records. Instagram's been in a stare down with the Kardashians and Adam Mosseri just blinked. Congress just passed a ton of money to jumpstart domestic chip production. And of course, the weekend long read suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. The last big day of vomiting out all of the big tech earnings was yesterday. Apple reported record Q3 revenue of $83 billion, up 2% year-over-year. iPhone revenue was up 3% to $40.7 billion. Doesn't sound like much, 2% and 3%. Basically, the summary is this. Apple, too, sees worsening markets around the globe, but they nonetheless were able to set revenue records just barely, quoting the Wall Street Journal. Investors were encouraged by Apple's results even as they continued to pay close attention to the potential effects of a strong dollar, inflationary fears, chip shortages, and COVID-19 precautions in China. We are seeing some pockets of softness here and there, Tim Cook, Apple's chief executive, said in an interview Thursday. But in the aggregate, we expect revenue to accelerate in the September quarter as compared to the June year-over-year performance. End quote iPhone sales, which are Apple's biggest driver of revenue, rose 2.8% to a fiscal third quarter record of $40.67 billion, while analysts had expected a 2.5% drop. Sales of iPad tablets, Mac computers, and wearables were affected by supply constraints, Mr. Cook said, end quote. In fact, Apple said it expects a faster sales growth in Q4, citing easing parts shortages and strong iPhone demand. Tim Cook says Apple is also being more deliberate in its hiring. And P.S., Apple reported services revenue grew 12% year-over-year to $19.6 billion, with 860 million paying subscribers globally across all its services, up from $825 million in Q2 of 2022. Amazon reported Q2 revenue up 7% year-over-year to $121.2 billion, with a $2 billion net loss versus a $7.8 billion net income in Q2 2021, and AWS revenue was up 33% year-over-year. Amazon's stock was up more than 10% this morning. Interestingly, Amazon's direct workforce declined by 99,000 people in Q2 to 1.52 million workers, a record quarter-over-quarter drop primarily due to attrition in its warehouses after the pandemic-driven expansion. Squeaky wheel gets the grease, Kardashian edition, I guess. Adam Masseri says that Instagram will roll back some of the recent changes it made after a week of mounting criticism of those changes, included in the pullback, temporarily reducing the number of recommendations made on content, quoting Platformer. I'm glad we took a risk. If we're not failing every once in a while, we're not thinking big enough or bold enough, Instagram chief Adam Masseri said in an interview. But we definitely need to take a big step back and regroup. When we've learned a lot, then we come back with some sort of new idea or iteration. So we're going to work through that, end quote. The changes come amid growing user frustration over a series of changes to Instagram designed to help it better compete with TikTok and navigate the broader shift in user behavior away from posting static photos toward watching more video. On Monday, the TV star and entrepreneur Kylie Jenner, along with her sister Kim Kardashian, posted memes asking the company to make Instagram Instagram again 
And on Twitter, nearly every day, people post tweets criticizing the new Instagram that quickly go viral. Redesigns often incur the wrath of users who are hostile to change, but in this case, the high-profile dissatisfaction was backed up by Instagram's own internal data, Mosseri said. The trend toward users watching more video is real and predated the rise of TikTok, he said, but it's clear that people actually do dislike Instagram's design changes. For the new feed design, people are frustrated and the usage data isn't great, he said. So there, I think that we need to take a big step back, regroup, and figure out how we want to move forward, end quote. The company also plans to show users fewer recommendations. On Wednesday, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg said that the recommended posts and accounts in feeds currently account for about 15% of what you see when you browse Facebook and an even higher percentage on Instagram. By the end of 2023, that figure will be around 30%, Zuckerberg said. But Instagram will temporarily reduce the amount of recommended posts and accounts as it works to improve its personalization tools. Masseri wouldn't say by how much exactly. When you discover something in your feed that you didn't follow before, there should be a high bar. It should just be great, Masseri said. You should be delighted to see it, and I don't think that's happening enough right now. So I think we need to take a step back in terms of the percentage of feed that are recommendations, get better at ranking and recommendations, and then, if and when we do, we can start to grow again. I'm confident we will, he added, end quote. The U.S. House of Representatives has passed the Chips and Science Act, which includes more than $52 billion for U.S. chipmakers and tax credits to encourage investment in chip making. President Biden must now sign the bill into law. Something, something, silicon is the new oil, geopolitically speaking. Quoting The Verge. In a 243 to 187 vote, On Thursday, the House passed the $280 billion Chips and Science Act to strengthen U.S. science and technology innovation. The bill, a Biden administration priority, includes $52 billion in subsidies to encourage chip manufacturers to build out semiconductor fabrications plants, or FABs, in the U.S. After months of negotiations between the House and Senate, Thursday's approval resolves the looming threat of chipmakers reconsidering plans to build U.S. plants. Earlier this month, The groundbreaking ceremony of a $20 billion Intel foundry was delayed while the funding remained stalled. The pandemic supply chain crisis inspired lawmakers, namely Senator Chuck Schumer of New York, to craft legislation to make it more feasible for chipmakers to employ American workers and build their products domestically. Over the last few decades, semiconductor plants have shipped factories and jobs overseas, primarily to countries like China, to cut down on manufacturing and shipping costs. The Chips and Science Act is the Biden administration's bet to incentivize chipmakers to reverse course and build fabs in the U.S. For decades, some experts said we needed to give up on manufacturing manufacturing in America. I never believed that. Manufacturing jobs are back, President Biden said in a statement on Wednesday. Thanks to this bill, we are going to have even more of them, end quote. President Biden has encouraged lawmakers to pass the measure, but it's unclear when he intends to sign it into law. Outside of the CHIPS subsidies, the bill provides the Commerce Department with $10 billion to award states and localities grants to build out regional technology hubs across the country. The hubs would serve as many Silicon Valleys as a means of bringing jobs and economic growth to areas hard hit by globalization. The National Science Foundation is also set to receive billions in additional funding for semiconductor manufacturing research and workforce development programs, end quote.
We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to ZocDoc.com techmeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash techmeme. ZocDoc.com slash techmeme. Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season, when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing, I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Time for the weekend long read suggestions. First up, among the big tech high flyers to have been brought low this year, the first sector, in my opinion, that was hit, and in many ways the furthest to fall, has been the buy now, pay later space. Bloomberg has an in-depth look at the entire industry and at the issues facing Afterpay, Klarna, Affirm, and other players such as economic uncertainty, competition, regulators, and consumer debt. It's a real history of the whole industry that I found fascinating. Quote, Because its new BNPL hasn't been tested during a meaningful economic downturn. With inflation high, money doesn't go as far, which suggests demand for BNPL could rise, as it did for traditional layaway during the Great Recession. But if people curb spending altogether, usage could dip. The number of people unable to repay their loans could climb. The industry is in the early stages of a defining test. Asked if he believes an impending recession will temporarily curb buy-now-pay-later use or cause it to spike, Max Levchin, founder of 
a firm demurs, quote, but I'm pretty confident that three years from now, there will be a lot more buy now, pay later in the U.S. than there is right now, he says. His vision involves using a firm to buy everything, causing you to abandon credit cards altogether. I'm extremely biased, and I'm sort of drinking my own Kool-Aid and trying to sell it at the same time here, but I do see the demand for this credit card alternative payment modality just rising among young people, among people who are fed up with the sort of fine print is my business model approach that traditional banks have, he says. I don't take it for granted that everybody has to believe in it, but as an entrepreneur, it's my job to believe that my future is the best one, end quote. It's hard to argue against the world BNPL companies say they're creating, one in which finance is friendlier, transactions simpler, terms more transparent. In the broader movement to add a certain aesthetic to lending, with vibey names, better-looking websites, smartphone apps, and a boatload of marketing, there's something powerful in rebranding credit and debt as more palatable. It's just that for the spenders, the risks and responsibility remain the same, end quote. Next, I alluded to this a bit yesterday, but Cecilia Kang in the New York Times argues that Lena Khan's attempt with the FTC to block Meta's Within acquisition upends decades of antitrust standards and could shift how DC regulates competition in nascent industries. Quote, At the heart of the FTC's lawsuit is the idea that regulators can apply antitrust law without waiting for a market to mature to the point where it is clear which companies hold the most power. The FTC said such early action was justified because Meta's deal would probably eliminate competition in the young virtual reality market. Since the late 1970s, most federal challenges to mergers have been in large, well-established markets and aimed to prevent already clear monopolies. Regulators have mostly rubber-stamped the purchases of startups by tech giants, such as Google's 2006 deal to buy YouTube and Facebook's 2012 acquisition of Instagram, because those markets were still emerging. As a result, Ms. Khan faces an uphill climb. Regulators have been reluctant to try to stop corporate mergers by relying on the theory that competition and consumers will be harmed in the future. The federal government lost at least two cases that used this strategy in the past decade, including an attempt to block a $1.9 billion merger in 2015 among X-ray sterilization providers that the FTC had predicted would harm future competition in regional markets. The FTC's lawsuit against Meta in the budding virtual reality market is a deliberately experimental case that seeks to extend the boundaries of merger enforcement, said William Kovacic, a former chairman of the agency. Such cases are certainly harder to win, end quote. Speaking of nascent industries, the markup takes a look at 37 companies in the connected vehicle data marketplace, a largely unregulated industry that analysts estimate will be worth $300 to $800 billion by the end of this decade. Quote, Today's cars are akin to smartphones with apps connected to the internet that collect huge amounts of data, some of which is highly personal. Most drivers have no idea what data is being transmitted from their vehicles, let alone who is exactly collecting, analyzing, and sharing that data, and with whom. A recent survey of drivers by the Automotive Industries Association of Canada found that only 28% of respondents had a clear understanding of the types of data their vehicle produced, and the same percentage said they had a clear understanding of who had access to that data. Welcome to the world of connected vehicle data, an ecosystem of dozens of businesses you never knew existed. The markup has identified 37 companies that are part of the rapidly growing connected vehicle data industry that seeks to monetize such data in an environment with few regulations governing its sale or use. While many of these companies stress that they are using aggregated or anonymized data, the unique nature of location and movement data increases the potential for violations of user privacy, end quote. And remember Chris and I summarizing the history of social networking as we remembered it on a recent 
Twitter space, the evolution of the whole notion of social networking, if you will. Well, Cal Newport in The New Yorker has a piece breaking it all down and makes a point that I wish I had made how much Twitter was the real fork in the road leading to the modern social network as we understand it. But I also liked these concluding paragraphs, quote, This all points to a possible future in which social media giants like Facebook may soon be past their long stretch of dominance. They'll continue to chase new engagement models, leaving behind the protection of their social graphs, and in doing so, eventually succumb to the new competitive pressures this introduces. TikTok, of course, is subject to these same pressures, so in this future, it too will eventually fade. The app's energetic embrace of shallowness makes it more likely in the long term to become the answer to a trivia question than a sustained cultural force. In the wake churned up by these sinkings will arise new entertainments and new models for distraction, but also innovative new approaches and methods for expression and interaction. It's here that I find optimism. The era of social media monopolies has been unhealthy for our collective digital experience. The internet at its best should be weird, energetic, and exciting, featuring both homegrown idiosyncrasy and sudden trends that flash supernova bright before exploding into the novel elements that spur future ideas and generate novel connections. This exuberance was suppressed by the dominance of a small number of social media networks that consolidated and controlled so much of online culture for so many years. Things will be better once this dominance wanes. In the end, TikTok's biggest legacy may be less about its current moment of world-conquering success, which will pass, and more about how, by forcing social media giants like Facebook to chase its model, it will end up liberating the social internet." End quote. And finally today, an encomium for the game Rollercoaster Tycoon. I like it very much because this is sort of how I feel about how games function in my life. Quote, More than anything, games like Rollercoaster Tycoon made me feel like I could sit still, focus, and create something special. I spent a lot of time in school wondering why my body felt filled with gears that wouldn't stop grinding. Teachers would often check my desk and my notes to make sure I wasn't fidgeting or doodling. Running those silly parks and ushering my Zumbinis through their puzzles helped me feel like I had something to offer besides completing worksheets, writing book reports, and teaching my classmates how to graph a penis on a TI-83. I was allowed to play these games because they were learning. They made school more tolerable. That year and several thereafter, I begged my parents to buy me the Roller Coaster Tycoon games. I loved playing them, and I loved that they slowed the turning gears in my head. Management sims more broadly have become a staple of my adult life, and something I gravitate toward when I need to decompress. Playing these games, especially with goofy or high-stakes fail-states, is incredibly entertaining and makes me feel powerfully competent when I pull off a good run." End quote. So if you're listening to this right after it dropped, the Twitter space should be going on right now. Head over to Twitter to check that out. We're going to talk all things Amazon with Jason Del Rey. But in the bonus episode this weekend, that conversation will be paired with an interview Chris and I did earlier in the week with Matthew Ball about his new book on the metaverse. So enjoy that combo episode this weekend. And also another bonus on Sunday, a portfolio profile episode of another company the Ride Home Fund has invested in. In fact, our biggest ever investment, the biggest check we've cut thus far. And since it's an investment we made this quarter, again, if you like this company and you want to invest in it yourself, if you invest in the Ride Home Fund before August 30th, your money will go into our investment in this company. 
but also anyone that runs a company of any size, listen to what this company does. I very much think this is a product everyone could use. So enjoy both of those. Talk to you on Monday.